0: Hello and thank you for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and resources, we invite you to check us out on the web at www.abetterlife4.us. Let's begin today. I'm going to be talking to you and finishing up this series on kings and priests. And uh, some of you who are in the uh, service last week, the 1010 service, last week, and heard this, Pastor Eric said, Dad, you need to just preach that message in the uh, 845, so uh, here we go. Revelation chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6, I think you all know this uh, quite well. I'm not going to belabor this part of it, but just to read. Revelation chapter 1 and verses 5 and 6 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, uh, and the prince of the kings of the earth. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. That king's word is the basileus. Basileus. Actually, basileus is how you say it. It's not U-E-S. It's E-U-S. Basileus, that is, of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings. That's the same word. Basileus. Basileus. The same word he used. That he is the king of kings. The kings of the earth. He's the king of the kings of the earth. The prince of the kings of the earth. I think it says in verse 5. Then here he says. And made us kings and priests unto God. And his father to him be glory for and dominion forever. And ever now it says he, he did several things there for us. I love this. He made us kings and priests. He loved us. Now, is, is when John is writing this, is John saying he loved us only in the first century, or is he talking about us? Who's he talking about? Us. OK, so he loved us, and he washed us from our sins. Is he still talking about the same us? So, so that same us, then must be the same us that he made kings and priests out of. Okay, you got this? He made us kings and priests. You say, yeah, but that's Old Testament. Well, it's Old Testament, but it's not only under the law. Remember, we started off earlier in this series reminding you that Abraham, in every sense of the word, except that he did not wear a crown, was a king. He was a king in every sense of the word. You don't want to think king as though as the king of England or the king of Spain, where, or, or where, they're, where they're, their rule spread across continents not talking about that kind of king. We're talking about the kind of kings that are kings of city-states, the three wise men that came to see Jesus. They were all kings. They were kings of city-states, and there are still city-states in the earth today. You ever heard of a place called Luxembourg? Luxembourg is a nation in in Western Europe, but it's just a city, one city. That's all there is. Uh, Monaco is basically one city on a tiny little island, off the coast of Europe, okay? And these are city-states. Uh, there, there are a number of them around. Hong Kong at one time was, Singapore. These places are city-states. They're, they're an independent nation, but they're just really one city. Washington, D.C., in many ways, operates as a city-state. This, this is the kind of king that, that Abraham, uh, the kind of king that Abraham ran with when he ran with the kings, He was considered to be peer with them. Now, what that means is for you and I, uh, we are kings of the realm where we are. We are priests of the realm where we are. I'm not a priest to everybody on the planet. You're not a king to everybody on the planet. You're a priest or a king in this house where you are. Praise God. Come on. Can I get, get a good amen? I mean, you're not responsible for the whole world. You're responsible for where you are. And the impact you're making where you are. Now that might become a global impact. It can become a global impact. The more of us that, that wind up in this house, we can have a more global impact as we work together. See, kings and priests all through the scriptures have always worked together for the good of the kingdom. They don't necessarily work together for the, for the good of each other. I mean, they, they do what they can to be a blessing to each other. But their real, av- their real uh, aim is to cause the kingdom to be better. Cause the kingdom to be bigger. To cause the kingdom to expand and grow. I mean, it, yeah, it was in the Old Testament, but don't forget, the book of Genesis is not really in the, in the Old Testament. The book of Genesis is not really in the Old Testament. The Old Testament in the New Testament is defined as the law. And there was no law in the book of Genesis. In fact, the essence of the new covenant, which Paul tells us what it's really all about, defines what Jesus uh, said to the Jews, to us Gentiles, and builds New Testament theology. He really builds it all on the basis of one or two verses out of the book of Genesis. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And that's where the entire doctrine of salvation by grace through faith alone, praise God. Salvation by grace through faith alone came. And that had nothing to do with the law. It was about Abraham's life. Long before the law, 400 years before there was a law, God made a man righteous by faith, just like he still makes men righteous. And in fact, I'll tell you this, God made people righteous by faith even during the days of the law. It's always been a higher law. The law of Moses was a lesser law. The highest law that's ever been was the law of faith. Praise God! And if a man would believe God, no matter what his legal condition was, if a man believed God, God counted it to him for righteousness. Proving this uh, in, in Matthew chapter 15, when the woman came to Jesus asking for her daughter to be healed, she was a Canaanite, Gentile, pagan. It's like you were before you got saved. Well, it's true anyway. They were all pagan Gentiles, and, and they. This woman came to Jesus and, and, and asking for her daughter, and Jesus called her the dog that she was, not right, not fitting, not. It's not beautiful is the way is the the word meat. Not appropriate to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs, and she said, "Truth, Lord," called him Lord said, whatever he said was true, believed in the Lord. Are you hearing me? Does this sound anything like Abraham to you? She believed in the Lord, believed his word was true, called him Lord, and then committed herself to him. She said, but the the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What she really said was, I may be a dog, but I'm your dog. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) And when she did, when she did that, The Bible says that Jesus said, woman, great is your faith. Go your way. You get what you want. Now, the rules didn't change. Jesus did not just say, okay, I'm going to give this dog what she wants. He did not do that. She stopped being a dog the moment her faith was enacted. I'm saying she was justified that day, praise God, because it was still the children's bread. It was still the children's bread. That issue didn't change. She must have changed. Something happened to her that day, praise God, when she enacted her faith. Can I have a good amen? Something will happen to you when you enact your faith, praise God. So, so it's, just, it's just true. The Old Testament uh, is, is the law, but the book of Genesis is not. Now I'm getting to my point. In that Old Testament passage... Let me say that passage in Genesis, Genesis 14, Melchizedek and Abraham show us what this divine partnership was supposed to be like all along. And we know that this is a New Testament order because you get over to the book of Hebrews and chapter 6, 7, 8, all talk about this this relationship, especially chapter 7, 6, and 7, talk about this relationship between Abraham, the person of faith, and Melchizedek, the, the high priest, The person of faith and the high priest, praise God, and how that is manifested in the earth in this time. The king and the priest. They work together for the good of the kingdom. It's like a horse and a wagon. Pastor Eric and I, we have a wagon. But without horses... That wagon sits there. It can, it can have all the supply that's needed over there. Huh? It can have all the supply that's needed over there. And that, that need over there can be completely met if we can just somehow get that wagon over there. Everybody understand me? It's just one thing needed, a horse, some way to move that vision, praise God. Along. What is the provision for that vision? I mean, what is what is what's needed what's the supply for that is the provision that the horse brings listen we have a vision but this vision is going to go nowhere it's going to go nowhere without the people of God let me tell you what happens God said that he blesses you in your basket and in your storehouse he'll bless you in your basket and in your store years ago I got a hold of this thought I said Lord I'm blessing my basket my wallet's okay I'm making plenty of money I'm doing fine but I don't have any anything in savings you said you'd bless my storehouse he said yeah John you have to have a storehouse do you have a savings account no. Well, I can't bless something you don't have. So open opened a savings account, and all of a sudden start saving money. How'd that happen? We just did our part, and God did his superabundant part. We did our faith part, he did his grace part. Come on. You're saved by grace through faith, amen. You do, your, you do your part. You say, well, I don't know if this church has enough money to build a building. I don't even care if this church has enough money to build a building. All I care is that this church will do its part, and God will do his part. He's already showing us he's going to do his part. I mean, you all heard the story. How how just God showed up in in the form of a man named Donnie Richardson and just began to give us things. Give us... Over a million dollars, probably a million and a half dollars in value toward getting this building built. Praise God. To release the stops for us so we can actually start breaking ground this summer, God willing. Amen. Can I have a better amen? See, we've done what we can do, but God has to do his, his part. But he's not going to do his part until we do what we're supposed to do. <clears throat> it's enacted by faith. By faith. It's not a legal thing. It's just a faith thing. He loves faith. He loves, and the reason he's insisting on us moving by faith is because he wants to be able to brag about us. He did not brag about those who can build towers to heaven. He brags about those who just do what he said, believe what he said, obey him, you know, by faith, not seeing any evidence that it's actually going to work. Huh? <laughs> but who will just obey him. And, oh, he can, he can shout those praises of his people All over the universe. He can tell the devil, look here, look here, look here, you idiot. See what you could have had? See what you could have had? Linda Thompson got it instead of you, you idiot. Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. Chase Lemon's got it. Look here, you. I mean, you read, you read the scriptures and it says the glory of God by us. God gets glory by the way we live our lives and the and the things that we get brought in, our, and he wants, I think it's First Corinthians chapter 2, where he says this. He, he uses the church as his glory sign Ooh. in the face of principalities and powers. Amen. I know I have to move along. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 30, it says, One can chase a thousand, and two put ten thousand to flight. It says it in an unusual way, but that's what it's saying. The indication is there. One can chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, except the rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up, meaning the ones that are being chased. How can that happen? How does one chase a thousand? You know, well, in my in my world of math, one chases a thousand and two chases two thousand. I went to school. It was in Oklahoma, but math still works the same there. 1 plus 1 is 2. 1,000 plus 1,000 is 2,000. Are you hearing me? This, again, is just you doing your part and then God doing his part. You do your part in the natural, you're going to get 1 plus 1 is 2. 1,000 plus 1,000 is 2,000. But if you do your part by faith and have God chasing your enemies, all of a sudden 1 plus 1 equals 10. 1,000 plus 1,000 equals 10,000. Praise God. Praise God. One plus one. I mean, God's kind of, God's kind of uh, uh, thing. Doesn't, but, but listen, there still has to be the multiplication. There still has to be the joining together of that, that one's chase and that one's chase. Listen, if this church chases some and another church chases some, great, we're going to get some chased. But imagine what would happen if the body of Christ really genuinely came together and we chased together. How many more thousands would there be? Why it's so important to be a part of the local church. Had a guy come to our church one time down in Austin. And I said, well, where do, you, where do you presently go to church? He said, I'm just looking for a church. I said, where do you presently go to church? He said, well, I don't really go to church. He said, you know, I just go from one place to another. Because, you know, the Lord hadn't really uh, uh, made me part of the, uh, of the body. He said, I, I just, I go, you know, wherever he tells me on Sunday mornings." I said, is that what, where it's going to be here? He said, well, I don't know. I said, well, I, you, you, don't, you probably don't belong here. And we needed people. And we just started a new church. I said, well, probably don't belong here. I said, Because God's only putting people here who are going to come here and get their shoulder against this plow with me. Because we work together when we are really in this thing, really in this thing together. We'll chase many, many more. Chase many, many more. Ch- you chase many, more, many more when you get hooked up right. When you get hooked up right. You, have, you can do what, that which is impossible. Well, I heard the story years ago of a man uh, who was an architect. And uh, he heard Charles Neiman preach along these lines. And uh, Charles, Charles is good, can preach the kings and priests, like almost as good as Pastor Eric. And uh, almost. And uh, he he said that he was preaching along these lines in a, in a church service. And after it was over, he went to the back of the service and back of the building somewhere, and there's a guy met him back there. He walks up there and shook his hand. He says, oh, Charles, I just got to tell you a story. Fire away. He said, I'm an architect today. He said, well, I, we, don't, we don't do any jobs that are, he said, I don't even bid on any jobs that are under $50 million. We've got a really good thing going. You know, I mean, that means he wouldn't bid on our job out here. <laughs> he, he, you know, he's up there. And he said, that's, that's our bottom line to go up from there. So it was a fairly large firm, and he said uh, it had been very successful. He said, but I'll tell you this. When I was a boy growing up, my dad used to say, boy, I want you to start praying now. You'd pray about what you feel like, what the Lord wants you to do for him, what you think the Lord's calling you to. So he said, so I prayed and prayed and prayed and never got anything really. He said, but then, then one day I prayed, and when I was 12 years old, I prayed, and the Lord told me, that he wanted me to be an architect. He said, oh, that was so exciting. He said, I came in to my dad, came down to my dad. I said, Dad, the Lord spoke to me and told me he wanted me to be an architect. And Dad's countenance fell and said, no, boy, that wasn't the Lord. You go back up there and you pray and you seek God about what kind of ministry he, he wants you to do. God don't call people to be architects. So he went back, prayed and prayed. He said, I prayed and prayed and prayed. And the Lord never did tell me anything else. He said, I just assumed I didn't know how to hear the voice of the Lord. He said, so I went, when I got out of school, got out of high school, he said, I just knew I, you know, I had to be called in some kind of ministry. He said, so I went off to Bible college and got myself a bachelor's degree in and Bible and pastoral ministry and all that. He said, I went and got a church, got, 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 not a church, but I got a youth ministry position at a church, a big church, had a big youth group. He said, I got that big youth group and it said, and had several hundred kids in the thing. He said, and before it was over, I'd driven it down to just a handful. He said, the church was growing, but the youth group was just nothing. I just killed it. He said, I was so disgusted, so discouraged. But Lord, I'm not good at anything. I can't hear your voice. He said, so I went back to college and got my degree in architecture. I went and did what I wanted to do, what I thought was just what I wanted to do. And he said, my company has prospered. It's blowing and going. He said, I've poured millions of dollars into the kingdom of God. He said, but I've got to tell you something. Every single day of my life, I get in my car Get out on that freeway on the way to my office. He said, I repent because I still feel guilty. Every single day I I pray because I feel guilty and I would ask God to forgive me for not being in the ministry. He said, that is every day until today. This day it ended when I heard you preach that I was called to be an architect. Glory be to God. Amen. 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 Now, your 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 calling may change. You may you may go from being a, an active king at, at a time. Hey hey hey! I'm a king to my, toward my priest. When I see Jim Hester, I can't hardly help but hand him money. I know I'm not I'm not asking you to hand me money. Although you know if the Lord moves on you, I'll take it. But uh, but for me. I'm sowing seed into his ministry because I want his ministry to succeed. Because I know if I'm sowing seed into that ministry and it's succeeding, that's doing wonders for me behind the scenes that I can't even see. I don't even know what it's doing right now, but I I can see it down the road. I know that it's blessing me because I am the horse to his wagon. Just like you are mostly in this room, most of you are the horses to pull the wagon of this ministry and of this vision. Praise God. Whenever I'm with my pastor, I'll tell you how how he came to be my pastor, and I'm almost done here. I I was in Houston, Texas years ago, and uh, Miss Ann and I were there helping Brother Osteen celebrate his 50 years in ministry, 50 years in ministry. Not, not, Not the new Brother Osteen, old Brother Osteen, John Osteen, Joel's dad. And there was, oh, I don't know, thousands of people in this huge auditorium. It seated 8,200 people, I believe it was. And they said it was standing room only and very little of that. People were standing everywhere. So they estimated around 9,000 people in the building. And it was the largest church house in Texas at the time. And I think the one they have now certainly is too still. But Brother Osteen was a great man, a great preacher. And so people came in from all over the world to help him celebrate. And Jim Hester was there. And I had heard Jim Hester preach on a number of occasions, once at Christ for the Nations and several other times in full gospel business meetings and what have you. And he stood up in the, middle of the, in the middle of the thing, and they put a camera on him and lights. It was a planned thing, but it seemed like it wasn't. You know, he stood up, and he started saying, no, no, no. They're telling John Osteen's story, and he's waving his arms and said, no, no, no. That's not how it happened at all. What you did, Brother Osteen, was you, you were a perfectly good Baptist preacher, and you got down there on that slippery slope with them Pentecostals and slid in. That's what happened, you know, and, and all that speaking in tongues and stuff, and he, just making a big You know, big hoorah of it all and having a great time. And the the place just broke up. I mean, it was hilarious and fun and yet the truth. And uh, when it was over, I leaned over to Miss Ann and I said, Miss Ann, you know, I said, you know, I'd been at this thing was great dignitaries of the spirit-filled, charismatic Pentecostal world. Great dignitaries. I'm talking about T.L. Osborne was there, R.W. Schambach was there, Kenneth Hagen was there. Uh, Norval Hayes was there. And I, I was writing lists of names of people that were like, I mean, big names to me. I'm writing them all down. I'm in the same room as all these people. It was, you know, kind of like being, a, being at a football game. They didn't know I was there. But anyway, I was, <laughs> I was writing. And I, I said, you see this list of all these famous people I've seen here, Ann? She said, yeah. I said, if I had my choice of having any of them come to my church, I'd pick Jim Hester. And he was a long, long way away from us in this massive building. I said, I'd I'd pick Jim Hester. And Miss Ann, I guess she wasn't all that impressed. She said, really? I said, yeah. (laughs) I said, yeah. (laughs) So uh, time went by and the service was over. We got ready to leave. I'm telling you, thousands of people there. And we just kind of were herding out like cattle. You know, if the hole would open up in front of us, we'd take the next step. You know know what it's like in a huge crowd and just kind of inching our way toward that doorway off over there. <coughs> <laughs> and uh, when we got to that door, guess who stepped right in front of us to walk out? Jim and Joanne Hester. I didn't know her name at the time. I'm going, wow. Oh, this feels like a God moment. And then, it, then I had this sharp pain hit me right here. Ann hit me in the elbow. Bam! And I'm hitting me in the ribs with her elbow. Bam! Did you see? You see who that is? I said, yeah, yeah. Well, talk to him. <laughs> okay, I'll talk to him. Uh, and, he, and he starts walking on faster, and I hadn't said anything. I'm trying, trying to figure out how to talk to him, you know. just didn't know how to talk to him. He seemed, he was world famous to me. Blah, 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 blah. She said, John, don't let him get away. I said, honey, and just tackle the little man. Anyway, and I, I kept following him out, and, and I finally walked up there. I said, uh, Brother Hester? He said, yeah. I said, could I go get your car? could I have your keys? It's raining cats and dogs, so I was going to run out in the rain. You know? I just wanted him to remember me because I was going to ask him to come and preach. And so he gave me the keys. I ran out there and got his car raining, pouring down. <clears throat> They're standing under the, under the awning, you know. And I said, would you come to my church? He said, well, who are you and where do you live? And so we exchanged all that information at the time. We were living in West Texas. This was in the spring of the year. July 25th, in the middle of summer, my pastor, that, the only pastor I'd ever had that brought me and my family up in the Lord, actually won my entire family to the Lord and won, baptized us in Oklahoma water. That man passed away on July the 25th, that same year after I'd met Jim Hester in the spring. I scheduled that night for Jim Hester, not the night my pastor died, but in the spring, I scheduled for Jim Hester to come in September as quick as I could get him to come to San Angelo and preach for me. So he came and preached for me. And the next day, it was a Sunday night, and on the next day, he called me up. He said, John, boy, let's go talk. I want to get some some coffee. I'd like to come visit with you a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. So I went and met him at a restaurant, and we sat and talked and had coffee, and he started telling me everything I need to do, lining me out. You need to do this, do that, do this, don't do this anymore, do that. Name five things that I need to get done, I need to get done in a hurry. So I did. I did. I went, went to work on those things. But while I was sitting there talking to him, I just started crying. He said, "I look, son, I ain't trying to hurt your feelings or anything. You may never have me back because of what I'm saying, but you just need to hear me say these things. I said, yes, sir. I said, I'm not crying. You're not hurting my feelings. I'm not crying because you're hurting my feelings. I'm crying because I haven't been pastored this way in a long, long time. My pastor's been in, in, incapacitated for a long, long time. I said, and by the way, he just passed away this, this summer. And I said, I'm wondering if you'd be my pastor. And his thumb like this on the table. He went. I guess you feel like I could help. He'd been all bold and in my face before then. When I asked him to be my pastor, he got real humble, like a little sheep, and he said, "I, you know, I mean, if you feel like I, I could help you in some way." I said, "I have to have a pastor. God brought you to me." So I told him the whole story that ha- that went on in in Houston. I didn't tell him Ann didn't really like him, but I told him about about. Uh, <laughs> I, I told him how it happened. And uh, he said, Oh, that's kind of miraculous. Isn't it? And I said, It seems way miraculous. Found out years later that Jim Hester's birthday was July 25th. I found out that next year that his birthday was July 25th. I had forgotten what date my pastor had passed away on, but it was, guess what? July 25th. More miraculous than you can imagine. But, and I've had several really miracle moments with this man. But I determined in my heart years ago that if I expected to have people give into the vision that God had given me, that I was going to have to be giving into the vision that God had given my man of God. Can I have a good amen? Praise be to God. Well, I won't take much more time for you this morning. I know it's, uh, I know it's uh, time is running out, but the fact is the priestly job is to supply vision. The kingly job is to supply provision. And everybody everybody understands, it doesn't matter how much provision you have. The king of Thailand has this massive mansion, indescribable mansion. He lives in three rooms, a little three-room apartment upstairs. That's all he needs. He could live in the whole house if he wanted to, but they, he doesn't. He lives in three little rooms and rolls around on the floor with his kids just like everybody else does. Can I have a good amen? I mean, how, how much do we need? We don't have to keep up with the Joneses. We need to keep up with what God's doing in our own lives and our own hearts and remember that our calling isn't to be a king just to get rich. Our calling is to be a king so that we can dominate, praise God with the gospel of Christ and impact our society. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment and let's pray. Once again, thanks for joining Cornerstone Worship Center's Building a Better Life. For information about our church, service times, and additional resources, we invite you to check us out on the web at www.abetterlifefor.us. God bless you.